Hello, I'm Simon Burton and welcome to Cambridge Arts Roundup. As the summer beckons you towards new and interesting artistic adventures, we'll take a peek at an exhibition of one of the country's most famous book illustrators, find out about a troublesome statue and visit a gallery that promises to fill a gap in the market and support local artists. In this edition, we preview the Raymond Briggs retrospective summer exhibition at Cambridge University Library and hear of an extraordinary artist who captivated a whole generation of children with curator Katie McCurrock. We investigate a heated debate about a wealthy businessman William Gredley's statue of Prince Philip, which won't stay put, that some people want to move along, and is also raising much more than an appreciative eyebrow amongst residents of a Cambridge neighbourhood. And we visit Acker Contemporary, a new art gallery which promises to be an oasis for local talent and draws in key artists from across the region, providing an Aladdin's cave of new work in three new adjoining galleries. He was one of the most imaginative artists, illustrators Britain has ever known, and someone who could make complex adult issues palatable by children with a rare degree of flair and meaning. The artwork of Raymond Briggs is being showcased in a summer-long exhibition at Cambridge University Library, where his originals with annotations are on display, along with artwork from his famous books such as The Snowman, Fungus Bogeyman, The Tin Pot, Foreign General and The Old Iron Woman, and The Bear, among many others. Co-creator Katie McCurrock of Raymond Briggs Retrospective is exhibition's curator at the Quentin Blake Centre for Illustration, who notably worked with Raymond Briggs up until his death in 2022. She introduces the wealth of material. I've worked at the Quentin Blake Centre for Illustration for a number of years, and a few years ago we had the opportunity to work with Raymond's collection, which was amazing. And over the course of the pandemic, actually, then I worked on the exhibition with my co-curator, Nicolette Jones, who's known Raymond for a long time, has written two fantastic books about him. And we pulled the exhibition together and now it's on tour across the UK, so it's come to Cambridge University Library. Many people don't know that he has done such a wide range of books, um, not just children's books. In fact, he said, books aren't missiles, I don't aim them at anybody in particular. So, But of course his books have been very popular with children, but he did a number of political kind of minded works in the 1980s. Um, he also did Father Christmas, which many people know and love. And some of his later books explore family relationships. So for example, Ethel and Ernest, which explores the life of his parents. Described as having a, a, a subversive political wit, and obviously the the, the Tim Pot Foreign General and the Old Iron Lady was um, a, a high impact piece of um, book illustration, wasn't it? Yes, it was very controversial at the time. He was actually told to go ex-directory so that he didn't get abusive phone calls, and it came out only a year after the end of the Falklands crisis. Um, and some people have criticised things like the way that um, Margaret Thatcher is portrayed in it and its um, more general um, critique of the Falklands. Um, But actually, Raymond didn't describe himself as an activist. Uh, He just said that he had ideas, he followed them through, he wanted to get them down on paper, and then what people did with them was kind of up to them. Um, But he did actually send a copy of the book to everyone at the House of Commons and Margaret Thatcher and everyone else, didn't he? He did, uh, it's true, it's true. And certainly lots of his other books as well explore um, political ideas and critique people in power. 
Um, what are some of the things that he did actually voice um, through his other books in terms of political uh, messages? Sure, so you might know um, When the Wind Blows, which yeah. is um, about the nuclear holocaust, although actually it's about um, two uh, elderly people and their response to the holocaust following the... Um, kind of guidance at the time about how to survive something like that. Um, So again, it's not overtly critiquing it, but as you can see throughout the course of the book, um, even though they follow all the rules, poor Jim and Hilda don't do very well. And it's incredibly tragic. And just the way that he does that through the book um, critiques just by its nature nuclear holocaust and um, nuclear weapons. You've got um, this wonderful um, set of um, originals in terms of the artwork that's on display at this exhibition, the original uh, drawings from the books, and they're all annotated, so you can actually read all the comments that he made around them. What are some of the things that he said on those, on particular artworks? Yeah, we're really excited for visitors to see that because you can see a bit more about the process. So he often wrote down the number of hours that he spent on particular parts of the work, so how long it took to colour a page, how long it took to sketch it out, how long it took to do the type. And it really gives you a sense of how much incredible work goes into each one of these pieces. But you also get little notes about language that he chose to use or um, where he decided to change parts of the picture, so um, that's really interesting. Um, Filling drawings with um, a certain sense of atmosphere seems to be something that he was absolutely excellent at, wasn't he? But when you look at those illustrations in this exhibition of the snowman and what have you, it's it's, it's combining art with um, children's fantasy in in a most evocative way. Yeah, I think his choice of materials really played into that. You'll see the snowman is done with um, pencil crayons, which is gives a really soft feel, a kind of gentle, silent feel like snow, and he hasn't put any words into that either, and that gives a kind of dreamlike quality to it. But then he uses other materials for other works. You'll notice Fungus the Bogeyman, the end papers he created using gouache and his fingerprints, which again evokes that feeling of the sort of slimy world of Fungus the Bogeyman. Um, He related to children in a most unique way, didn't he? Because he took adult messages and he converted them into another currency. That was quite an important talent of his. Yeah, he was one of the um, first illustrators to really bring the comic strip format um, to the forefront of illustration um, in the UK. And I think we often think of that as, oh, that's for children, but he saw it as a way of squeezing more story into one page and really almost like a film director putting together a storyboard. You could bring across so much narrative through that. And do you think he was, um, in some ways, a misunderstood child himself? Because he had quite a humble background. His father was a milkman. He grew up in hardship and perhaps had quite a difficult childhood himself. Is that true about his history? He would absolutely say that his parents were incredibly loving and um, he was um, had a beautiful relationship with them, which I think you can see in works like Ethel and Ernest. But I think one of the things that he explores in Ethel and Ernest and some of his other works as well is... Um, the fact that after he went to grammar school, there kind of widened this cultural and educational gap between him and his parents. So you see that in books like Ugg as well, which is about a Stone Age child and his relationship with his parents. And I think that maybe caused some tension, but it's explored in Ethel and Ernest in a very good-natured and humorous way. You know, you see their reaction to him going to art school where they're absolutely horrified that he's not getting a real job. 
Um, he went to Wimbledon School of Art from 1949 to 53 to study painting, then the Central School of Art to study typography. And after that, he went on to do fine art at the, the Slade School in um, 1957. So his, his discipline was quite apparent all the way through that, wasn't it? Um, yeah, he, um, he did train originally as a painter, and when he was first interviewed for Wimbledon School of Art, then um, he said, you know, I want to do cartoons, and his interviewer was absolutely horrified, but we're obviously very glad he did, and he brought all of that um, knowledge and rigour into his cartoons. Mm. What were the range of things that he worked on? Because there, there are there's, there are a number of very popular works. So as a retrospective, we've tried to um, select a really wide range so you can see the breadth of his career, going from his very early illustrations for other authors, where he was doing a lot of nursery rhymes, fairy tales and anthologies. Um, then you can see him working on his own books, which... Um, also take the fantastical and kind of follow them through to a logical conclusion. You know, what would Father Christmas really be like if he was actually working so hard on Christmas Eve? Um, Fungus the Bogeyman, as you said, the Snowman is in there. Um, and then uh, there's also his more political works in the 1980s, so When the Wind Blows um, and um, the Tin Pot Foreign General um, and the Iron Woman. Um, and then his later works, which... Uh, deal more with family relationships, so Ethel and Ernest, um, Arg uh, the Bear. So you actually knew him? Um, not well. We were curating this during the pandemic, so sadly we weren't able to meet up as much as we would have liked. Um, but uh, I do feel like I got to know him a little bit, and certainly through his works. And um, Nicolette, my co-curator, has worked with him for a number of years. Um, and one of the great things you seem to ha have um, in the um, exhibition space is actually a piece of film with Raven Briggs. So you bring his presence um, into the exhibition so people can hear his voice, they can see his image, they can hear him talking about his work. Um, which is great because it, it kind of brings it to life. I think it's really important to get the artist's voice into any exhibition that you do because they can communicate the best way about their own work. And I think Raymond was such a, an interesting character in himself. I hope that's communicated through the video but through the exhibition as a whole. Now, which aspects of Raymond Briggs interest you the most? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I obviously had personal favourites from when I was a child, so I loved... Um, some of his earlier things, uh, particularly Fungus the Bogeyman, actually. And I think one thing that's really interesting about Fungus is the work process that went into that. He was working on it for a number of years. He had a whole filing cabinet of definitions of words that he got out of a 1918 dictionary where he was trying to find revolting words. And he really built up this whole world, and you can see that. And I think you can see that in lots of his books, Father Christmas, he builds up this whole world. Um, and he described it as being a bit like a film director and also a bit like an actor. You have to get inside the minds of your characters so you know how to draw them. And I love that. It's really exciting to see that in the work. Now, was he a prolific artist outside children's book illustrations? Did he do lots of other things as well? He first started off as a fine artist, so working in oils and doing portraits. And his first commission was actually for House and Garden, where he drew um, a kind of diagram of bulbs. Um, so flower bulbs, uh, and so he did do other things and was incredibly talented in those areas, but he always said, I don't like working with paint, it's too messy. Uh, and he had always been inspired since a teenager by things like Punch and um, cartoons that he would see in the newspaper, so that really always was a focus for him. I think there are really interesting themes that you can see in Raymond's work, uh, so 
love, loss, explored in great nuance and sensitivity. Also, I think class is explored very interestingly. You see that in relationships between parents and their children. But also Father Christmas was very exciting in how it portrayed Father Christmas as a working class man. And that was based on his own father, who was a milkman, um, who actually features in the book himself. You'll see one of the frames shows um, a milkman with the number plate on his milk van were Ernest's initials. Thank you very much indeed, Katie McCurrough, for talking to Cambridge 105. It's been most interesting. Thank you very much for having me. The whole idea of repurposing Cambridge's public spaces with new and engaging public artwork, as debated and recommended at the Cambridge Arts Network conference just recently, could be a trifle more problematic than any well-meaning art lover or patron realises if they want to play a part in shaping the city's new look and feel. It's a question of the complex council rules over what can legally put where and why before permission is granted to erect an artwork which is in keeping with public opinion, of acceptable taste, and has canvas support as contributing to the cultural life of the city in a way that makes intellectual sense for both viewers and the artistic and socially minded in terms of its implicit messages. A long list of council regulations must be observed. The issue has been brought to a head over a statue by Italian artist Pablo Archiguri of Prince Philip entitled The Don, which was commissioned by businessman and art lover William Gredley, who's chairman of the Unix Group, which has offices on the corner of Norwich Street in Cambridge. Mr Gredley installed the large 12-foot-high statue on a mound on the corner of Norwich Street and Hills Road, having moved it from another location as a flamboyant gesture from someone with no small passion for art. But his lack of permission raised a furore amongst local residents who felt he'd broken regulations and imposed his sense of taste indelibly on the local community. I went to see Mr Gredley over an issue which might affect future patronage of the arts which the city might need in hard times, and balance that up with a view that he didn't consult anyone before acting on impulse. My name is Bill Gretley. I'm chairman of a company called Unix Corporation. We are property owners. We have horse racing, mm. horse breeding, mm. two studs, 100 horses, mm. and many activities throughout the world. Um, now we've, we've come here to talk about um, a particular piece of artwork which, which um, uh, you've had put up in Cambridge um, as a piece of public art. Um, by a sculptor called Pablo Achigari, um entitled The Don, but it also has another name, which is obviously the, the Duke of Edinburgh. And how did it end up with two names? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Can you describe this piece of artwork? I can, but I suggest anybody go and have a look themselves. Mm. Uh, it's rather large. I mean, how it all came about is that um, we were building an office block in um, Cambridge called City House on the corner of um, Brooklyn's Avenue and Hills Road and we were looking for a sculpture to go on the corner. I got old Pablo who is a famous artist and he came across and we spent a day in Cambridge looking at uh, Cambridge and the dons and the, in the gowns and he was rather interested and, and is a very famous uh, artist so we got chatted and I said well I'm building an office block uh, I'd like a nice piece on the corner. So he said, what sort do we want to do? And I said, perhaps a don. And I would want them to be sort of in a solid block of marble, white. So he said, how big? I told him, he said, it's very big. And uh, anyway, to cut a long story short, 
he will agree to tell. Uh, he said he would go and find this marble, and he left. I understand that he travelled around most of the places where they're producing this marble, and mainly in Italy, could not find a piece, and said, I can't find a piece that's large enough um, along those lines. I can't remember, but after that or before that, um, I spoke to Helen Blumenfeld, Helena Blumenfeld, and uh, we started discussing the same thing. And uh, I commissioned her, I gave her commission to give me a large piece of marble, more or less like that. And uh, she took the commission. Um, Pablo, in the meantime, was very, very busy and said, look, I'm going to take a long time to do this. So we agreed not to do it. Mm. Um, but, but in the meantime, he had also produced the Matage, um, which was the, the shape of the Don. And I was calling it the Don, and he was calling it the Don as well. Um, it, it's um, it's a very large sculpture, um, and um, it's, it, it seems to have drawn mixed reactions from people in Norwich Street, in Hills Road. Um, some people say that it, it, it's um, some people like it; they think it's a, a, a Cambridgey, you know, thing to have as public artwork. Other people say that it, it blocks the view from the free offices; that they find it. Um, and something that isn't in keeping with the area. I mean, what would you say to them? Well, if they're, if they're saying it's blocking a view for the offices, a view from what to what? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an office block, and mm-hmm. it's not blocking any view. I can understand if, you know, if I'm a resident down there and I don't like the art, I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't like it, I'd say so. Mm-hmm. And I don't take any objection from them if they say they don't like the art. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I mean, first of all, I was going to take it away, and I didn't want to upset anybody. And someone said, well, why are you taking it away? It's quite nice. So it made me rethink, and I went and stood by the art for a couple of hours and chatted to people going by. And as a whole, the general consensus is it was nice. They liked it. And I thought, well, perhaps give it another go. I went back again, canvassed and talked to people going by. I got more or less the same reaction. So there's more people like they are than said no. There were some people who didn't like it at all. They thought it was too big, too this, that, whatever, which I understood. But I think the majority of people I've spoken to liked it. When you obtain a planning consent in Cambridge and anywhere else, you have to make a contribution towards art. Mm. And I was always cross with Cambridge Council because we never see the art that we paid for. Mm. I think at one time we gave them £200,000. And I was asking, where's the art? And I came back with something else. And I've yet to see art in Cambridge that's been donated by the Cambridge city. Okay. Now, local residents say that it appeared with, um, without warning um, and no prior consultation towards them. These are the residents of um, Norwich Street and Hills Road. Um, and um, and they, they feel that um, the planning permission um, was originally refused for, um, that pati- for, for that particular spot, for that kind of artwork. Um, do you think that by erecting it, you broke the rules or in any way acted illegally? I think somebody must make this up, mm. uh, or I've got a bad memory. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I can understand if they don't like it. I'm very sorry uh, that it has caused such uh, dissension, but I don't think that uh, if... 
you'll put a piece of art up. I mean, look at Banksy. When he put it up, they were, they were horrid, but now he's one of the most famous artists in the world. I don't say that this is going to be famous, but at least let people have a view on it. And if there was a general consensus that it's ugly and that, I'd take it away. Um, what would you say to criticisms that it's disproportionately large of a discordant style um, and seems domineering because it's on the top of a, um, an elevated grass knoll? That, that's what one of the people has, has said about it in criticising perhaps it. That's the, perhaps that's the uh, object of art. Uh, uh, what about its um, relevance or connection to the immediate area? Because um, people were looking for, um, you know, w- what's the theme? How does it tie in? to that particular part of Cambridge. Um, is there anything, is there any kind of um, theme that runs through it? No. Why should you have a theme where you uh, put art? Well, um, I mean, some of, um, I mean, part five of the SPT states that to achieve high quality public art projects, you have to show that the proposed work is of high artistic quality, that the project supports existing artists, the work is innovative, it's sensitive and appropriate to its location. The artworks are integrated into a broad design strategy if there's defined public benefit for the community. Arrangements are in place to work with the community and stakeholders that the pro- project is technically and financially viable and can be delivered and that equal opportunities and sound management are in place and the local environment is able to absorb um, uh, any additional visitors. Those are the stipulations that the council put on public artworks, and they, 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 they seem to think, the residents seem to think that those haven't been, um, you know, um, observed by that particular piece of artwork. So uh, what would you say to that? I was ignorant to it. You were, you were ignorant to it. Um, and of course, um, this, is, this seems to be, of course, quite a strong reaction from um, people. I mean, what would you, uh, what would you do um, if, um, the, their objections to it um, uh, end with the council asking you to remove it. What will you do with the artwork? Well, I have a number of art, pieces of art around the country, and, and I hope that they do cause some controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, if I took it away, I'd find someone else to put it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bear any grudge. I wouldn't accuse anybody, but I just would want to be satisfied that it's not a minority speaking for the majority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I mean, the more we discuss art, the better, mm-hmm. because I think the trouble in this country is not enough discussion about art, mm-hmm. uh, apart from the selected few. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of people out there that really don't know very much about art. And I think Cambridge is a wonderful city. I love it. And I would hate to do anything that besmirch it. But um, I do think uh, it may give somebody the opportunity to go along and make a comment about art that they never done before. Mm. Uh, and that gets people talking about art. And they do like this, they do like that. And art is art. It's wonderful. You either hate it or you love it. Mm-hmm. If I was convinced that there was a vast majority mm. who didn't like it, I would take it away. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, strange enough, it's been in Cambridge for about two years. Mm. It's been next to another offshore, now had one complete. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, had compliments. Mm-hmm. It was next to uh, AstraZeneca. Mm-hmm. It was there for two years, never had a complaint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've got other pieces of art around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps they like those. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think that perhaps it's, um, I've imposed upon the tenants of whichever road it is. Mm-hmm. 
and maybe I should have done. Well, next I took to the street and asked some people gazing at the statue what they thought of it in actual fact. What do you think of this piece of art? I think it's a nice, interesting piece of art. I was surprised to find out that it's supposed to be Prince Philip because it's not obvious either when you don't know and even when you do know. can't really see anything that says Prince Philip. It looks like an owl. All of my friends have said it looks like an owl. But I uh, like the I sculpture. As, as a sculpture, I think it's quite interesting and I like public art. I mean, whether it's public or not, it belongs to this guy, but that wouldn't bother me. I think it's nice to have some public art. I do think it needs a little bit of titivation. <laughs> it's a bit big. Yeah, I mean, I live and I've been at the uni. It looks like it would have something to do with the uni, and I find it weird that it's the royal family. I'm not sure why it's in Cambridge. I just said I think I, think I can see his nose in it. <laughs> Philip's nose. Representing people living in Norwich Street, resident Patricia Farrer argues that Mr Gregley can't be allowed to set a precedent for breaking carefully established rules on art. It's a very tall sculpture, I should say it's probably about 12 feet high, purporting to show something which is called variously the Don or Prince Philip, presumably in his role as Chancellor of Cambridge University before he died. In my opinion, it's extremely ugly, but that is my, only my personal opinion. It is very large, it's very black. The problem is that it is so big that it dominates the entire view down Norwich Street and along Hills Road, and it's completely out of proportion with the houses in Norwich Street, and the fronts of those houses are all protected by a grade two conservation listing. And so it seems very unfortunate that as residents we can do virtually nothing to the fronts of our houses, and yet without any planning permission, Mr Gredley has come here and erected a very large sculpture that's completely out of keeping with the rest of the street. Um, what would you say to people in the city who want to repurpose public spaces um, with um, artwork in order to create a, a new atmosphere? Is it in keeping? Um, I don't think it's in keeping. And in addition, the Cambridge Council, like other councils, has set a various formal procedures in place. Mm. I'd like to read to you uh, what the public art coordinator said nine years ago about this sculpture when he wanted to put it somewhere else. She wrote, it is possibly the poorest quality work that has ever been submitted to the council. It is not site-specific. It's a work already purchased. It has no relationship to this site. It is too large a scale for the context of the space it will be located within and will compromise the quality of the new development and have a negative impact on the wider public realm and streetscape. And that was for a, a property a bit further down Hills Road, which actually there it was less less dominant because it was in a dip so it was lower down than the pavement whereas where it is here it's on a grass knoll so it's elevated above the level of the pavement so it's even more dominant than it was before. What have residents been saying to you? Uh, all the residents in Norwich Street that I've come in contact with absolutely hate it. Um, I won't repeat some of the abusive words that they've described, uh, used to describe it because much as I hate it personally, I do understand that there are different tastes in art, but on the other hand, because this is a very public piece, it does have to be submitted to all the planning procedures that the council has put in place, and my understanding is that this has not happened now, and it did not happen effectively in 2014. 
That we live in a democracy. We live. There's. This is a very densely populated country, and you can't, unfortunately, just do what you like. You have to、uh, respect the opinions of others, and we've got proper governmental and local council procedures that have to be gone through before you can put a, a piece of artwork up. It, now, now he says he's、um, canvas people,、um, and he seems to think that the, the artwork is. Um, popular.、Uh, we have committees and groups that are set up in order to ensure a very, very high quality of art. And Cambridge is one of England's major cities. I mean, we really have a re- collective responsibility to make sure that we have very, very high quality pieces of public art on display. Mr. Gregory seems to think that he's made a contribution to Cambridge's arts、um, scene by、um, by contributing art as someone who's put buildings up in Cambridge. There's an issue there, isn't there?、Um, well, there's an issue、uh, with the the legality of how the art was put in、uh, adjacent to the building in the first place, and according to this document from the head of planning in Cambridge City Council from 2014, Mr. Gredley and his company did not observe all the rules and regulations. In fact, the head of planning says none of the processes of engagement, liaison, or agreement with the council or other parties has taken place in connection with this application or the public art proposal. The application has wholly failed to fulfil the key requirements for successful delivery of public art, as set out in the Public Art SPD. And in this respect, the proposal is contrary to Cambridge Local Plan 2006 Policy 3/7. So that was nine years ago, and to the best of my understanding. Uh, Mr. Gredley has not applied for planning permission to move this sculpture from one part of Hills Road to another part. How do you think Mr. Gredley has behaved with over this issue? Well, personally, I think it's rather foolish. I understand, and I very much sympathise with him. His desire to erect works of public art—I think that's a very commendable、uh, motive. On the other hand, I do feel that there are regulations that have to be followed, and I feel that he should follow those just like everybody else does. If he does have to remove the sculpture, it seems to me that he'll have had a. Uh, a few weeks of controversy at a very, very expensive rate, because、um, he'll have spent a lot of money moving the sculpture from one place to another. What's going to be the next stage、um, in this story in terms of um, uh, um, uh, engaging with Mr. Gradley's artwork? Ah,、uh, well, the,、um, the local council is looking into it. Our local councillor, our Lib Dem councillor, Katie Pora, has been very active in it and has promised to. Push the council into investigating it further, and I hope, especially as there's an election coming up, I hope she will listen to me and ensure that she does take it further, because she will then ensure the support of many people in Norwich Street. It takes no small amount of courage to launch a new creative business in Cambridge, just as the country reels from having to tighten its belt several painful notches, courtesy of Putin's pointless and destructive war. But the show must go on, and a new art gallery has confidently stepped up and opened its doors, delighting the Cambridge public. Acker Contemporary is tucked behind Eddie the Barber's shop at the top of Cherry Hinton Road, in an atmospheric Victorian building which has a purpose-built art gallery in three parts, sporting an Aladdin's cave of artwork reflecting its owner's love affair with British modern art. 
They're offering a cradle for talent with life drawing classes, art history lectures and well-being lectures, welcoming artists of all ages, all talents and all media. I joined exhibiting artists and sculptors Jeff Lowe with directors Alison Porter and Kevin Youngman as they geared up for their exhibition Echoes, which is now open and runs until the 10th of June. Tell me a little bit about yourselves. How have you come to um, land on the Cambridge art scene and open a gallery? What's your background? I'm a painting conservator and Kevin and I wanted to start doing some pop-up shows because we know some fantastic artists. And that was the premise on which we started doing pop-ups. And then we were invited to have a physical presence here in Cambridge. Now, you mentioned the sculpture trail. That, that's something that, that, that um, has been very popular in the past. Is there more coming on the sculpture trail for, um, for, for Cambridge that you're going to be involved in? Well, um, the artists that we know and are having shows with um, are Je- uh, the sculptors are Jeff Lowe, Lawrence Edwards, Jonathan Clark. Um, they all have a presence in Cambridge already, so, some in the universities, um, in the grounds. And um, Lawrence has done the giant yachtsman, of course, in Suffolk. So we're, we're hoping to draw people in to see the scale of their works and the range. Um, um, Jeff, now you're, you're um, quite a well-known sculptor. Um, you work with... Um, large out, out, outdoor um, pieces. Um, what, will you be ha- what will you be exhibiting in the show? The pieces that will be shown here in the gallery are pieces which actually generally have been outside. So yeah. it's, it's quite interesting because I've gone a complete full circle, really. In London, I moved from London six years ago to the countryside, and most of the sculptures were gallery sculptures that I made, even on a large scale. Now that I work and live in the countryside, they tend to be more outdoor sculptures. So some of them I have seen outside, but most of the sculptures that are shown here have never been shown before. What are you primarily um, concerned with with your work? Well, uh, I've been making sculpture now for over 50 years, um, and I started off as a figurative sculptor, but very quickly wasn't satisfied for me in that way of working, so I became an abstract sculptor. The pieces that I've made since moving into the countryside perhaps are more lyrical and softer, more landscape-based, although still abstract, than some of the more geometric architectural pieces that I made when I was working in London. Now, why are circles so important to you? I st- it's strangely enough, I, we, st- I'm, we moved to a house in Faversham, which is an old waterboard uh, building, which is conical and circular, and I think it had a huge influence. That, that I saw there a building that looked like a piece of sculpture, and that internally it had incredible views through, through the inside um, to different rooms, different areas. And I saw a way of making sculpture that that revealed itself in layers so that there was a kind of outer surface, like a building might have, uh, inner rooms, windows that show a way into seeing things inside. And I was fascinated with, with, with that. And also with circles, you don't, most of the sculptures I'd made before were geometric, had corners, 
uh, had a front and a back usually. And I think the thing with the circle is that it doesn't have a front and a back. You, you are, you're, you're made to walk around it in order to see it from every angle and every side. And I, I kind of encouraged the sculpture to go in that direction. Do, I mean, what do circles do for you? Do they provide some kind of coherence in life and your art as things moving around in the circle? Well, it, it's interesting because in sculpture, often things, relationships between different elements in sculpture are seen seeing things in relief rather than uh, in the ra- in 3D in the round. Mm. So what it does, the circles, I think, give you, a, give you something that's three-dimensional but that doesn't have a front view or a rear, you know, a back view. It's it's very much about working with a, with with a, a surface that is continuous. Um, and so I was fascinated with that. Uh, and also that, that that what it did was it gave an inside and an outside. Mm-hmm. So then I started to play with the color, different color on the outside, different colors in the inside, and different colors revealing themselves as surfaces. Yeah, I mean, I tend to work in series of sculptures mm-hmm. so uh, I guess for about the last five years you would see a strong connection between most of the works the difference some of the pieces will have that, are sh- that I'm showing which is probably not the picture that you've seen but but the the new the recent three sculptures have got grids or mesh in them and so it's a combination of an external surface almost a protective layer with an inner surface and some of the shapes that are put on are, are put on almost in a kind of painterly way in the sense that they're they're bolted to a higher level of uh, of a grid um, so they're almost floating in space well I tend I tend to work fairly intuitively mm. I mean I so, I know the area of work that I'm working in but mm. I can't tell you or I couldn't draw what, mm. what the piece is going to end up looking like. Mm. Um, so what I tend to do is that I, I make drawings on the computer, uh, which are then sent off to a factory to be laser cut. Mm. And that all comes back as the raw material for what I'm about to make. Mm. So I don't necessarily have a specific piece for a specific part in a sculpture. Mm. They're all things that arrive and I start to work with them. And then I have a, a, a huge rolling machine which will bend very thick metal and I start to work with it. And after a certain point, having curved and bent and moved certain pieces around, elements start to come together, and that triggers the sculpture, and I start to work. Um, now, Ali, you're bringing quite a lot of artists together. What's the theme behind the exhibition? The, the current yeah, exhibition yeah. Is, the, is called Spring Forward, and we invited um, artists to present us with their work for the show. And we selected as many as possible with um, the hope that they would all work well together and quite what that criteria is is I suppose an intuitive one you select knowing you know how how things will look together and I I hope that's come across in the exhibition. Um, it's a tremendously um, bright and colourful exhibition um, of new work, which is very, very striking. But in the middle of it all, you've got a Henry Moore. Where, where, how did you come by that? Well, we've got two ex. So yeah. the, the second exhibition is our Bijou British Modern, okay. where we have a very large, well, not very large, it was a head of an animal that looks a little bit like a, a dinosaur head or a, a reptile of some sort. 
and um, that's juxtaposed by a Bernard Meadows mother and child which is very much smaller and very shiny. So how did we come by it? We have um, we have a number of collectors that we work with and we we were offered it um, for the show and it's for sale. How is the art market picking up after Covid, after um, Brexit, after the disaster in the economy? I mean, you, you seem to have taken a very brave decision to open a gallery recently um, in a market like that. Is it picking up in Cambridge? Um, I, I think as we, we become better known, people are coming and... Um... It's an interesting point, isn't it? Is it picking up... Well, people could say we were crazy opening when we did. But yes, it, we're, we're still establishing ourselves, obviously. And um, we are not on King's Parade. We are in a quite sort of different area of Cambridge. We're not far from the railway station. We're not far from the leisure park. Um, so is it picking up? I couldn't honestly say. But we are establishing ourselves. And each week is better than the week before. And each month is better than the month before that. And where before we perhaps had gaps between sales now sales are more regular so whether that's the art market picking up or whether that's the fact that we are becoming more established it's probably a bit of each do you have an ethos here i mean is there a, 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 an idea that binds it all together i suppose there is i mean um in the past we've um when we've talked about ourselves we've said that we are um very interested in the uh, period from the avant-garde up to today and um, and I think it's about artists learning from each other and developing and generations of artists going past and learning more and more as they go along. And I suppose that is our ethos, I think, if anything, that there is this thread of knowledge that is fed through from generations of artists before mm -hmm. and somehow it is ever-changing. Could I say something about mm -hmm. how I no, no. see, because I've been around such a long time yeah. and with so many galleries I mean I think you know if you go back into the sort of 1940s 50s that sort of period people would go to galleries and they would buy what they loved you know they bought what they liked on the walls and they would live with it the problem at the moment and I think one of the problems for galleries is that people tend to buy names rather than the works they're not so interested in the actual work, that a label is what seems to be more important. I think what Kevin and Ali are doing is, you know, trying to present works which show um, people that they should be encouraged to buy works that hang on their walls and that they love. Mm. Um, and I think it's a different sort of approach. Um, one of the other things about Cambridge is, I should say, is that, you know, the prints that are going to be shown here, I come about every six weeks here to work with the Cambridge Print Studio, which many, many artists have come specifically to Cambridge to work with because Kip, who, who has run it, is one of the best printmakers in the country. And uh, so I've had, that I've had a very good feeling about coming here and working with the, the print studio as well as, as the gallery. We want to show art from across the country, not just from across the region. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of good galleries that show work from across, you know, local artists and local, but we want to show art from across the, across the country. And going on to what Jeff said, it's art. It, we don't always, we don't pick names, we want to pick good art. Mm. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot in the art market at the moment which is all about investing in names and things. And we're trying to be, mm. well, I suppose, a good old-fashioned art gallery that sells good work. 
we're hoping that we'll have more people um, come here in for many different reasons. So we have some life drawing classes that we're starting and we're hoping to do have some art history lectures. Mm -hmm. um, some well-being classes. Some mm. well-being classes, mm -hmm. yes, mm -hmm. as an outlet. Mm. And, and, and what's your favourite piece in this, um, in this art exhibition that you've had a look around so far? Yeah. Well, I've literally just yeah. arrived, yeah. but I mean, the, Hen the Henry Moore is quite extraordinary yeah. because I showed with Henry Moore many, many years ago and I met him a few times. And so I have a fondness for, for, for his work. Although when I started making sculpture, you know, Henry Moore was a sort of dirty word at that point because we were all trying to do something that was completely the opposite of that. Um, but actually a lot of the work that's in that show, I mean, Hoyland, I've also shown with John, John mm -hmm. Hoyland mm -hmm. and um, knew Terry Frost very well. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of those artists that are in these modern British style shows, mm -hmm. most of them I, I knew. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, um, so it makes me feel quite old. But mm -hmm. the, coming back to the sort of pricing, I mean, I think it's always good to have a range of things. In, in my exhibition, you know, um, some of the prints, and, and in particular, an edition print, mm. you know, they can range from three or four hundred pounds mm. up to eight, twelve hundred pounds for a larger print. And then I've, I've made a series of very, very tiny sculptures, little brass mm. sculptures, which are the smallest sculptures I've ever made. Um, and they're relatively inexpensive for mm. what, you know, not everybody will mm. buy mm. or have the place to put a very large sculpture. Mm. And that's all from this edition of Cambridge Arts Roundup. I hope you've enjoyed being with me and we'll tune in again soon. If you have a creative story to tell, email me at simon at cambridge105.co.uk and I hope you have a stimulating summer in the vibrant cities arts I mentioned.